Manus flat on the canvas. We are ready to rock and roll. Second round of action. There is a cut on Manus. Yeah. My man B Hop got knocked up, dropped out the ring last night. I need a little judo baby. I need me a little judo baby. And let's do it, Ron. Let's do it. You see what they me? That's got face for me, dude. That's got face for me. Martial arts chat. Martial arts. Hello and welcome to the Martial Arts Chat Podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by A1 Fight Gear. Martial Arts. Fight Gear use the latest cutting edge boxing gloves for professional and amateur fighters, gym enthusiasts, and kickboxers. Martial Arts. and national gyms in the UK. Do sales a favour. Go check out a1fightgear.com. If you want to get into shape, get back into shape, go to bskill.co.uk. Use the coupon code MARTIALARTSCHAT to save 15% off your purchases for core sliders, straps and barbell pads and complete strength and conditioning programs to suit your needs. Finally, we're also sponsored by World of Martial Arts Television. Womo.tv produces, finds, acquires, commissions and presents all you ever wanted to know about martial arts. Discover techniques, exercise and forms from your favourite martial arts. Explore martial art philosophies, health, culture and spirituality. And so to our guest here today, martial artist and instructor in things such as Muay Thai, Taekwondo, Karate, Boxing, BJJ, you name it, he's on it, Mr. Mick Tully. He also runs his own podcast, Mixed Martial Arts, and we got in a lengthy chat about just about everything and anything, man. It's a really good one, and I hope you enjoy it, guys. Anybody in martial arts, you're there and you go, right, okay, uh, if I'm staying over one night, I'm not staying over two nights. So you drive, you drive up and you get on the road at five in the morning. And, uh, you know, you gun it all the way up the motorway. So about nine o'clock, you're going down the, past the, past the view cinema, down the, down the Leith Walk to, yeah. get to the, get to the foot of the walk to get down to where Rick's is. And you see all these characters outside and they are on it. Like they are like half, half out of oh, their mind. They've been on and, it for months. And, yeah. But you see, the thing is, in, in Edinburgh especially, uh, well, I, I noticed it in Glasgow as well uh, with the, the, with the football up there is like that it's not like it's not like just homeless people get drunk you know it's like normal people <laughs> yeah normal people that are saturday this is what i do now we get we and you you're like you, you're drunk at nine in the morning yeah man and they hold down jobs and they do every functional it's, way, right? way forward. it's the way forward Mad. yeah man so you want to you want to kick off well i follow your lead man you tell me what to <laughs> go. it's a good way to start away buck fast talk really like that hey um, i don't know we'll maybe just like chat about you and your life because i was reading obviously your dirt sheet like you're you're everything it seems man muay thai taekwondo bgj boxing a wee bit as well you, you you've done a lot yeah yeah well yeah you know it's uh they're, they're, it's it's one of those things um but yeah, years like now nowadays call it MMA, won't you? Yeah. But, uh, but it, for me, for me, when I first started training, um, when I started reading about it, because initially, you know, you just knew karate, you knew kung fu, you knew taekwondo, uh, and I, yeah, really ironically, especially in the UK, what we didn't realise was, uh, you know, we didn't we didn't realise that we had more than enough uh, uh, indigenous fighting skills in this country without having to look to the far east and i remembered i remember training with a guy years ago very well-known karate guy i won't mention his name spare his butchers but um he he never used japanese terminology and this was back in the back in the mid 80s and uh first time i ever trained with him and he was like you know i was still of that 
I, well, I still am. I, I like I like all the uh, ritual that goes with everything, you know. Yeah. Uh, um, I know I know you can turn around and say you can say uh, yeah, spinning back kick, but 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 the category sounds cooler, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So of course, when you're younger, you you don't want you you know you know the crack yourself. When you're younger, what's on your doorstep isn't cool. What's on the other side of the world is cool. And I could never work out, yeah, especially the more I got into the training, I couldn't work out how people didn't think that boxing, you know, especially especially in in Great Britain, you know, we we've had some of the greatest boxers of all time. You oh, know? Right. We, we we created this Queensbury rules thing, and then wrestling, we had like we had especially going up your neck of the woods. As soon as you got past Lancashire, you know, those guys, the wrestling was crazy, and then. You know, later on we had like Billy Riley and we had the Snake Pit and we had the guys yeah, doing that wrestling. Aye. Yeah, around there. So, but you know, we had Westmoreland wrestling, we had Lancashire wrestling. You know, you have Cornish wrestling down south, and I, I was like, but, but why are we looking towards judo? But that was that was a little bit later on when I first started. I, I was mad. Just it was karate, and mm. because you know the. If anyone's ever listened to a, an interview of mine or ever spoke to me or ever been to one of my pocket, uh, ever been to one of my seminars, I'm always at pains to explain to people that, um, and it's not because I want people to, re- you know, think that you know, the, um, I'm some sort of inspirational character because I'm not. I'm just an ordinary guy. But the first 16 years of my life was just horrific. I, you know, I, I would say a good 80 to 90 percent of my formative years was spent in abject terror of uh, a couple of guys at school that used to bully me mm-hmm. and my father who used to horrifically beat me. And I, I, I was beaten. I was like a prisoner in my own mind. Cause I was, I was just, I, I, I can't ever remember not being afraid. And I remember reading like, uh, believe it or not, American comic books. And, you know, I, I love the archetype of good versus evil and, uh, I like the whole. I've never liked anti-heroes, so you know, in like nowadays, you go, oh, it's cool. I like the bad guy, hi. Yeah, and I'm like, no way, man. You know, I, I want the good guy to, to. I want the good guy to prevail. And then obviously the the way that the way that they used to be able to prevail was, you, you know, you get bitten by a radioactive spider. You know, you become like the, you're like the the the, uh, the ultimate immigrant, like Superman, come from another planet. Or you turn around, or you turn around, and you just do the old Batman thing, which is just do loads of press ups, loads of sit ups, train. And it was, yeah, I'm, I'm being really, really glib about it, but you know, I, I, even when I was a young kid, I used to, I used to look at it, and I think, so just sheer force of will can create the person you want to be. Yeah, man. And then, and then obviously, it's really cliche, but I bought into it like one, one hundred percent. And then obviously. Mr. Miyagi comes along and you see you see that and again you know it's cliched as hell now but yeah it is another good versus evil and it's another it's a guy who's a marginalized outsider with no friends he's got no support and you know it's you know stories like that yeah like Karate Kid is very very um you know it's very very cliched now but that those stories are still there you know this is why you still have you know you still have email one well, we don't have emails unfortunately anymore but you know we used you know that's when you get the marginalized teenagers and that's why i really like you know i see it now more in brazilian jiu-jitsu than ever where you get introverted people going into it 
mm-hmm. and they just go right I'm really obsessive about something it's like you know you look at the like the Meow Brothers you know would they be the two guys I'd bring out if I was chasing women in my 30s no but do you know what I swear to God if I needed two phone friends on who <laughs> on Millionaire they'd be the guys to speak to because these guys just they're just it's true man that's absolutely you're spot on about the Brazilian Jiu Jitsu thing because it's like a lot of the guys, I love my brothers that I roll with in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, like wherever I'm at, Hellfish, Scottish Hit Squad, Grip House, whatever. But yeah, a lot of these guys outside the mats, like, I, I, I'm not hanging with these guys. Like, fucking Autism Awareness Week, man. They're all just like, do you know what I mean? I've got now in common with the boys because of how their personality is. But on the mats, man, we're brothers. Yeah, but that, yeah, but you see, this is, again, you know, yeah, this, this is, without sounding Joe Rogan, this is where you go deep early, man. But it's like, uh, we're in a really strange position in, in history right now where uh, young men have no identity. Most men don't have any identity. And I really feel sorry for, for you know, women especially because you know yourself, you, you, any, any woman you meet that sticks in Brazilian jiu-jitsu more than a year is an absolute savage. Yeah, got to be. Uh, uh, yeah, because the thing is, we don't have, you know, without sounding, you know, again, Joe Rogan and Joe, uh, Jordan Peterson on this. There's no equality of outcome uh, in jiu-jitsu. It literally, you know, where you go in there and go, well, you know, equality. Oh, yeah, we're yeah. all equal, and you're like, but you're not equal. No. You're that's the beauty of it, isn't it? That's the, it's like a harsh reality, and it's it's, oh, it's a life lesson as well. You can it, plug the, it into your life. Exactly, and it's the it's the dark mirror, man. Because what they do is they turn, you, you know, the, if you've been if you stick in this more than three years, you take six months off, you go back, and first of all, you know, you don't put much stock into the belt anymore because I don't care. I know blue belts that tap out Same. black belt. Yeah, right. But what you will find is because we use that as an internal sort of. Well, not a barometer. We use that as we basically use that to measure. So we look at the belts and we look at the stripes to measure where we are. And what you do is you take your foot off the gas for two weeks. Uh, you go back and one guy's got a stripe and you're like, damn. And then next thing you know, he's hitting you with stuff that you don't even recognize. Yeah. And then a year later, he's right where you where you are. And you're like, how has that happened? And then you've got you've only got two you've only got two options then. You can bitch and cry and go, mm-hmm. this is out of order. Or you just look at him and go, right, you go, you go in, you look at his card, you see how, how many times he's been training when you haven't been. And you go, yeah, it isn't, it isn't time served. That's the, that's the other one. Now, it's like, you know, yeah, BJ Penn, three years black belt. Yeah, three and a half years. Gunnar Nelson, four years. And you go, right, yeah, but look how often they were training. And like when you're training three, four times a week, that's great. Oh, what happened, mate? Sorry, I lost you. Oh no, sorry, I don't know what happened there. Get um, excited. Yeah, no, no. When you're when you're training when you're training three times a day, right? That's that's when that's when you're gonna you're gonna get the growth. And as a, you know, as we were saying, jiu-jitsu is the one because it 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 really it's it, it's um yeah. To paraphrase Batman here, it's not it's not that. I, it's not the art we want, but it's the art that we deserve. So you know, it's that whole, or the or the other way around. But it is that it's never been more timely than ever 
because you literally have a vast percentage of the population who are sitting there and they're crying in their salty caramel latte, stroking their beard, looking at the Birkenstocks, going, oh, my good God, oh, it's so hard. <laughs> yeah, they're oh, so hard to be a grown-up in today's society. I can't yeah, buy a house. And then you've got guys going out and they're going, yeah, yeah, I'm going to work on the house bit. I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get on the property ladder. But right now, the, my immediate problem is this guy here is trying to choke me out. And, <laughs> and, and you know, it, it's analogous for life because it's, you, you can't, you know, you have to be informed by the past. You have to be mindful of the future. But if you're not in the fucking present, sorry for swearing. But, oh, if, you're not, really. but if you're not in the present, then it's, you know, I don't know, get into Tybo or something. Because it, it, it's the only thing I found after 34 years of being in martial arts. Where, and don't get me wrong. I, I still love my Kali. I still love my Jun Fan kickboxing. I still love my Muay Thai. I still love my boxing. Um, but it's the one thing that it properly hit. It will keep you accountable for the rest of your life as a human being in regard to just crazy stuff like, you know, I'm in the car. Should I beat my horn at that guy because he's not going quick enough through the, 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 the lights? Yeah, yeah. That kind of stuff. <laughs> Aye, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, every now and again, you look at it and you go, God almighty, you know what? And uh, uh, you just think to yourself, uh, that that guy there, he could he could be the guy. So do you know what? I'm just going to wait. Patience is a virtue. And again, what jujitsu teaches you, uh, once you get past thirty to thirty-five, what it does teach you is, we got five, we got five, we got five minutes in this round. You know, two minutes in, they're putting the hammer on you. If they can't break you down and they can't submit you, and you're hunkered up for a little while. You just go, right, okay, this is a tactical retreat. And then you look at the clock and you go, right, yeah, especially now at 50, I look at it and I go, right, yeah, I've got 90 seconds of madness left in me. <laughs> yeah. That, that's, my, that's my game. Yeah. That's my game. And what I do is I look at it now and I go, right, I'm good for three minutes. So what do I do? Do I just go three minutes and gas? Yeah. Yeah, or, or do, I, do I pussy out for three minutes and just hunker up? But then you look at it and it, it sounds really crazy, but it's like, yeah. How many people on the planet have actually discovered that for three minutes they've just got pure savagery in them? You know, and because exactly because it's never going to last. You can't you can't be at that level of like Rah! all the time. Yeah, I, I, I like what you're saying about sitting in traffic jams. We'll probably just go with this, man. Let's just record this. Um, like, see when I'm training, especially now I'm training for a competition, right? But I'm, I'm when I'm doing the competition rounds, it's early in the morning. I like classes at night. You know, when I've done my day and I can go and you know, do a bit of technique and do some rolling at the end. But if I'm training for a competition, I've got to do those extra rolls because you, you just got to if you're, if you're going to compete. Yes. And uh, those are the ones that's like, oh, fuck, I'm up at six in the morning and we've just had our second baby, so we're on, like, no sleep. And it's like, oh, my life's shit. I want to just, I hate everything. But then after, once that rolling's done, man, like, oh. I don't care what's facing me the rest of that day. I am I am cool, man. I'm, I'm chilled. I've got it all in my system. Do you know what I mean? Those are the best ones. You, you, well, the thing is, you, you, it, it's Zen. It really, it, literally, it's that what, yeah, that one of the biggest issues that we have right now, you know, and I will talk about it later, you know, with the uh, causing mayhem on social media, is because we have this, it's strangest time, because it, it, like, it's a really mad dichotomy that we've got. We can be totally intimate, like me and you can be talking on, talking now. And we can talk some seriously heavy 
as young guys call it, sesh talk now. So we can talk seriously, heavy duty philosophical arguments, uh, philosophical uh, you know theories, and then we will never meet meet in the real world, which means that that is great when you're meeting somebody and you've got you know the emotional maturity to understand that mechanism. But the problem is, what that really is bad about is there's no ramifications if I say something that pisses you off uh, because you'll be able to turn around and go, right, well, I'll never see this guy, so I'll just say this. And then I'll go, well, I'm never going to see you either, so I'll say this. And the next thing you know, me and you will be talk- you know, we'll be arguing about gender identity. And then like, in the real world, we'd look at each other and go, you, that doesn't even affect either of us. Why the fuck are we arguing? <laughs> you know? So at the moment, I'm causing mayhem over Brexit. And I have no dog in the fight either way. Me personally, same, same, I'm not bust. Me personally, I thought it'd be a better idea to remain until I. Like, the only reason was because I didn't have enough information about it at the time. So there were there. It was a very simplistic vote for a very complex problem. And the only thing that really worried me, which was, uh, um, this is where you alienate half the guys listening immediately. <laughs> get ready, here it comes. Uh, get ready, guys. <laughs> Let's put it this way. First of all, first of all, if you voted to leave the EU because some Polish guy has come over and taken your job, right? First of all, what you have to remember is don't be pissed off at the guy whose English is a second language and has come to a country who doesn't know anybody and... Um, for some unknown reason is actually more qualified and a better fit for the job than you are because guess what that isn't his fault it's probably your fault for not upping your game yep. so that's the first thing right and the, my, the second thing that I didn't like was um, now this is the one that get, gets a lot of people because I go like that I'm not saying that you are racist to vote leave but all I know is every racist person I know voted to leave so it's that was that that was the crazy thing um but when i'm like going back to uh, you know the whole interaction thing i can cause absolute mayhem and i'm just sitting there laughing my ass off like <laughs> somebody to the, yeah. point, to the point that he's like punching a, a hole in like one of his doors and he's going i've just punched a hole in my door and i'm like yeah great you, you know you have to replace that door too i'm really angry <laughs> And, then, <laughs> yeah. and, and you're and you're like going, oh brilliant! But you're never going to see me. But you see, the, the the problem is that doesn't allow you to be accountable for your actions. Mm-hmm. And then that stretches now into the real world now, where uh, especially with martial arts. When I first got into it, it was all about being able to defend yourself in an altercation against somebody who wanted to do harm to you, mm-hmm. or you were competing against somebody of an equal skill level in a well-lit padded area with a referee, which meant that there was still, you still weren't going to be held accountable for your actions. Right. So the first one was a very serious matter, right? In the early eighties and mid eighties in Coventry, it was like the most violent city in Europe at the time. So per capita, right? So it, you know, you got into a fight, it was dangerous, but nowadays, like we got the knife crime and we have everything like that. But the average guy in the street, who doesn't live in that world doesn't really get attacked anymore. You know, so when you, you know, when you, you know, you get into a fight with some guy, it's not going to be a straightener in the car, in a, in a car park at half six in the morning. You know, it's going to be, you hit that guy and he's going to get injury lawyers for you and you lose half of your house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So the martial arts has changed in that regard. And it, like, 
as I said, we're in a really strange time because people don't understand. You know, we're very primal animals living in a digital age, and our, our little brains aren't able to work out this whole thing because we're very social. But at the same time, nearly everybody I've met, uh, <laughs> they've got a very they, they've got a, more than a tinge of uh, misanthropy about them. You know, so yeah, because we're selfish as well. You know, so we're. Again, it always like it always goes back to for me at the moment. It always goes back to jujitsu because it's like it's the only thing that I found where you can legally get somebody and fuck them up to the point that yeah, they, yeah man, that they, 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 they they'd be like in the real world now I'd be suing you and I'm like yeah but you signed a waiver when you hooked in it mm. as soon as you, as soon as you high five and your fist bump contract signed isn't it oh, and yeah and, 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 you know what and literally. Uh, uh, you know that that's the one because the first you, you you'll know right because you you've been in the game long enough to know now right so john you know you first time first time you first couple of times you do it you see the new guys do it and they because it's so cool and it you feel you feel like Bodie and johnny utah in like point break when you're doing it yeah man this is cool and then once you get about a year into it you just do it and immediately the only equivalent I can give it to is, especially the guys listening to this who are married, it's that that level of resignation where you just go, I do. You know, either on the altar or you tell the wife, you know, when the girlfriend says to you, would you like to get married? You go, yeah, why not? Yeah. And that moment when the enormity of your situation hits you. And that's why, you know, when I first bump and high five now, I just look and I'm like, God, this is going to... It's going to be really awful. <laughs> yeah, uh, and at the end, it's going to be great for the for both of us because yeah. it's a shared labour. Yes. There's a shared toil there. But during the time, man, it, it sucks, man. You know, it's yeah. sucks. it's what it is, what it is. But it's all close to real life, and yeah, the, you're right, man. There is there's a reward and finish line as well, man. It's got it's got everything. You're, you, when you're talking about BJJ, it sounds like so is BJJ a martial art that's later on in your life then. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'd say I, we, you know, I got I first started at karate with a guy called Andy Margaret in Coventry, and I trained with him from the age, realistically, from the age of seventeen and a half, properly. Uh, I got my black belt with him in four and a half years, wow. and then I then I moved to Germany, and I lived in Germany. This was just that literally as the wall came down, eight nine months later. I was I was over in Germany working as a plasterer over there, and I started uh, in Wing Chun, and in Thai boxing, mm-hmm. and that was that was a real eye opener for me because those guys were tough. Like the Wing Chun guys, uh, yeah, you get get away from the goofy Mandarin suits and everything like that, and like they were all thinking that they were yip man. Uh, <laughs> they were they were all tough dudes. The Thai boxing was ran by a Bosnian dude uh, called Shoko in Baden Baden who was an absolute killer and he wasn't technically the best. He wasn't easily. He, I know loads of guys, uh, Muay Thai, Muay Thai uh, trainers who were much better teachers um, and they were much better fighters than him. But he had that mindset that comes from literally being, you know, this was the, you know, the Bosnian Serb thing was still going on. So like he was he was he was a very conflicted at war with the world guy, but I I got on great with him. I yeah, me and him got on great, and I, I you know even at that period I was really interested in Jeet Kune Do and Kali and stuff, and uh, stuck in stuck with the training in in Germany yeah you know, for five and a half years, then came back 
went back to the karate, but it wasn't really for me. And I, I, myself and Al Peasland have been doing a lot of training together. And Al had done all the animal days, you know, with Jeff Thompson. Uh, so, you know, they used to get guys from all around the country coming in to test. And that, that was back in the days where it was very, very akin to the early UFC, where a good blue belt nowadays would have... Like, a, a good blue belt would have won the UFC. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, yeah, yeah, you're probably right, right? Yeah. It's the truth because you know you look back on it and it's like guys walking in there with one boxing glove. Yeah, and, what the fuck you know, was that all about? Yeah, right. yeah, but yeah, but it was a gong show. But you, you, what people don't, especially the younger it's a guys, circus. It was a circus, and what people what people don't realize, especially a lot of the young guys, if they don't look at the history of MMA and ballet judo, they don't realize that um, as cool as all the Brazilians are. Uh, there's always been an agenda because socioeconomically they come from ba- a pretty bad place. You know, the, the Gracies, the, the great, like Horry and Gracie and Hoist Gracie and Hicks and Gracie, like all of these guys that, you know, people go, yeah, you know, but it's quite poor where they're from. He's like, yeah, sort of, but their, their father was like, you know, he was like the Brazilian equivalent of the guy who was getting the Ferrero Rochers in the advert. You know, he was... You know, old Gaston. The ambassador, right? Yeah, well, Gaston Gracie was like, he, he was like something to do with the embassy. And then when Maeda came over, he was like, as a favour to Gaston Gracie, he trained up his two sons. And even in even in Brazil, that's why you've got the two guys. You've got uh, the two schools. You've got the guys who did the gi in the kimono, who could mm-hmm. afford to pay for a gi. Mm-hmm. And then you had the Lucha Livre guys who were the badasses. And they, like, they would be... It would be the equivalent of, you know, if we go to Scotland, um, uh, equivalent of the Gorbals, yep. yep. going up against a couple of guys who were going to school at Gordonstown. Right. You know, so, yeah, yeah. You, know, you listen to the accent yep. and you look at them and you go, you guys all sound the same. And you go, uh, no, we're, we're worlds apart, man. We're worlds apart. Yeah. But yeah, the, the, the early days were crazy, but like, uh, the animal days that Jeff Thompson used to do and Alan had, it was literally you tapped out or you got knocked out. And uh, yeah, I was really fortunate that, you know, Al's been my main training partner, you know, for 30 years. But Al was the hammer in that gym at the time. So literally when guys came in, yeah, Jeff was Jeff was the guy who worked out this whole, you know, let's pressure test these martial arts. And this was way back before there was any cross training. Uh, yeah, Rick Young was the only guy that was in the magazines that people knew about. But even then, it was with Rick. Yeah, it was a real disservice to Rick by not. Yeah, you know, and it wasn't done on a. It wasn't done by the magazines. The magazines were like, oh yeah, he's a Jeet Kune Do guy, but they didn't realise that he was just world class. You know, working out with world class judokas, world class boxer, and that, that and that's the truth. Yeah, by the way, you know he. He fought Ken Buchanan's son. And, oh, uh, sorry. Yeah, I, dro- I dropped him with a jab. Oh. Yeah, so, so, yeah, Rick was, the, Rick was the guy who was making a lot of this. Rick was the guy who was making a lot of this cross-training work. And as I said, Al was doing all that. So I got into it. But even then, I was like, you know, as much as I like the pressure testing side of it, I, I, I still wanted the, you know, the, the character development side of it. And I was never a Bruce Lee fan, but I, I saw Daniel Osanto in... Oh, really? Never. That, you got to be the first person on the podcast that said that. That's actually quite, I, that's quite refreshing. I, I, 
I'm telling you, this is the one that polarizes people. You thought when I was asked once about Bruce Lee, and they were like, Yeah, you know, he's this. I was like, Yeah, yeah, he was good, yeah. But at the end of the day, he was a 32 year old man who made four, yeah, three and a half, three and a half movies. Yeah, one of them was good, the others were a bit passable. Uh, two, two, <laughs> series, two series of the Green Hornet. Yeah, and he, by his own admission, he had maybe thirty uh, percent of the Wing Chun system, which, ironically, by the way, is about what the Japanese say that the Brazilians have of the jujitsu system. Yeah, so yeah. which yeah, which will that. lead me on to lead me on to the whole. Do you know what? Sometimes the only way that you can actually expand your horizons and your understanding is being by limited by the amount of stuff that you've got. So you know, using restriction, using Using rest- no restriction as restriction, uh, no, using uh, restriction as no restriction, you know, one of the tenets of Jeet Kune Do. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when people go on about Bruce, I'm like, yeah, he did all that. So how did he get all that and then be this demigod that you're talking about? So unless, of course, he was really lucky to have, you know, a training partner and a co-founder of Jeet Kune Do in Dan in Osanto. And oh, going, Dan in Osanto is a legend, don't he? You've trained under Dan, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Guru Dan's a man. But then obviously, you know, if people didn't get that, you know, where, you know when you try and give a really balanced, like, counter-argument to people, mm-hmm. and then they go, yeah, but even so, you know, it was Bruce Lee. And I'm like, listen, let's put it this way, man. Uh, I've done loads of runners from Chinese restaurants, and I've never been scared of a Chinese waiter. And I'll tell you something, going to an Indian restaurant, I've always paid my bill. And I said, you know what? I don't know much about Gapka, but, you know, I, I, I actually fought in the Scottish Open. This will be a quick, quick aside, right? Go I fought on. in the Scottish Open back in the 90s, right? Back in 91, 92. And we went into, we went into an a Indian restaurant in, in Glasgow, in the Gallagate. Went in there and I walked in there. And there's a guy with a turban on, walked in. We were all on the wrong side of a few beers and competing the next day, by the way. Nice. That's how professional we were. And went in, and as soon as walked in, this guy's got the turban on the whole nine yards. And you know what it's like. You walk into a, like any sort of restaurant, you're expecting the comedy voice. You know what I mean? And I walked in, and this guy just turned around, he's got the turban on, and he goes, Oh, right, lads. Right. Right. It's heavy, yeah. is it? Yeah. And I was like, what? Where's this come from? I started talking to the guy, but it was like, it just, it, it, what, what, you know, to illustrate the point is, you, 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 I, I nowadays look at Bruce Lee and go, yeah, yeah, I, I get it. But at the time, in my naivety, I looked at him and I was like, it's five foot seven. He's, he's, he's five foot seven. All right, yeah, really good attributes. But do you know what? Stick him up, stick him up against Dolph Lundgren, you know? Stick him up against Dolph Lundgren when he, he was doing Koyoko Shinkai. And literally all they can do is stand up and trade. How would he go? And that, yeah, and that, this is the problem because when we look at icons, we start thinking that they're more than human. And it's like the biggest wake-up call you're ever going to get in martial arts is you meet guys who are your heroes. And nine times out of ten, you know, if you're smart, you just go, yeah, oh God, I didn't realise he was just a man as well. But what happens is they get almost like deified to the point that like, yeah, but, you know, he's almost like a god. And you're like, no, he isn't. He's just a man like me and you. So is it fair to say he's not on your, uh, what does the Americans say, like not on your Mount Rushmore? No, no, he, no, he, he's, he's not going to be up with Thomas Jefferson. Uh, yeah, he, he, he might be, he might, um, you know. Who's on we, that? We, Who's we, on your Mount Rushmore then? Gene LaBelle? He's got to be there. On the, on the Rushmore, the Rushmore would be pretty easy to tell you the truth, right? First of all, it'd be Danny Santo. Yeah. And that's only, only because, you know, um, 
his skill level as a martial artist is surpassed by one thing, which is his skill level as as a human being. Like he is the right. coolest man I've literally. He was the first guy I ever met that had an iPod. First man I ever met that <laughs> had an iPhone. First, like when he had the iPod, iPod first, he got it in, and it was the old one with the LCD. Is like, that with the wheel and that, yeah. Yeah, the big old one. Yeah, right? yeah. He, yeah. Went, he goes, you know what? And he like he calls me Mike, right? So he says, you know Mike, and as I always say, he calls me Mike, right? This guy knew Bruce Lee, right? He knew Bruce Lee, and like he, he fought Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and he almost gets my name right. <laughs> for a plant, for a yeah, yeah, man. Right? Yeah, so like, and Guru's like this saying to me, he goes, you know, Mike, we have five hundred songs in this, and I was like, what? They're like on a card or something? And he's like, no, they're on a file. And I, like, this was like back in the days where. If you weren't computer literate, you know, you, you went. Oh, you it was just mind blowing. Ah, exactly, man. You know exactly. Right. You, you, you remember the days like this is some of yep. the old, yep. some of the older guys are going to nod, right? And some of the younger guys are going to shake their head. Years ago, you, you, you literally, you, if you had a computer at home, you played solitaire, or you you were you 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 were you were a curse of the old buffering curse, and everybody of a certain age knows what that one is all about. They'll be the only two things you use computers for, right? And Guru was like, no, no, I do this, and I keep all my notes on a computer, and I'm like, what? Mm -hmm. And it's really mad, because now what I'll do is, on the way back from training, I'll just get my iPhone out, and I'll do the old dictaphone, but I'll do the dictaphone with the Siri, so I, I actually make my notes of what I've done that night. Uh-huh, all right. Yeah, so I do that just because, obviously, the old pugilistic dementia makes you forget a lot of stuff but, <laughs> yeah. but it just goes to show that that was like you know nearly 20 years ago he was doing what we all do now so he'd be straight and he'd be straight in on so has he always been like a kind of forward thinking sort of dude oh, then i guess i always hear that he's a nice guy easily the most progressive man it, when it came to martial arts it, it, it definitely because he has given the leg up to people uh, like you know, you speak to Bradley or Steamer. Bradley or Bradley always says, "Yeah, he always says, make sure you tell Danny I said hello." And I'm like, "Yeah, I will do, definitely, definitely." And um, Guru was like, "Oh, he's such a wonderful man." And I said to Bradley, "I said, you know, you've trained with Guru in jujitsu, yeah?" And he's like, "Yeah." He goes, "He is legit." And this is Bradley or Steamer saying this, and Bradley is going, "He is. He has a spider guard game that is just unreal. He his understanding of spider guard." is unbelievable and when i said it to guru guru was like oh i think he was just being nice to me uh -huh. and it's like no but then you hear that and then you go and speak to a couple of wing chun guys and that you know i think guru has uh there's like a bit of an urban legend that if a plane went down and these five separate people were on it this is just wing chun by the way there's five separate people that he would be the inheritor of five separate wing chun systems He's the highest graded guy that they have. And then in the Kali, he's just another level again. You know, in the Kali and the Screamer and the Silat and all the Filipino and the uh, Indonesian arts. Uh -huh. again, it, and then when you, you know, you'll be speaking to like that. I remember having dinner once in Germany and I was really fortunate. I was sitting across from him and he was intrigued because I had a hearing aid and he wanted to know why I was wearing a hearing aid. And I told him, you know, I just, I, I just randomly went deaf overnight after getting punched. And he was like, oh, right. And he was like, does that affect your training? And I said, it, it actually affects the way that I teach and the way that I learn now. And he was, fasc he was fascinated by that. 
and then he was speaking you know he heard me speak german and obviously you know i uh, five and a half years there. my german's still pretty good but at the time i was fluent mm-hmm. and he's like, where did you learn that and i said i was here and he honestly is one of the only people that you will meet that is he, he when you're talking to him he is literally more interested in you you would ever be and like i remember bono said years ago and bono's full of shit right bono bono's come out with yeah bono's come out with a couple of good lines and the first like the, the, the great line that he came out with was when he first met nelson mandela they said what did you say to nelson mandela and he said i didn't say anything he goes because no matter what i would say to nelson mandela it wouldn't be anywhere near as profound as what he'd be able to tell me right mm-hmm. and i was like that stuck in me. And then when I was speaking to Guru over dinner, I was like, I just want to listen to Guru. And Guru's like, no, no, I'm way more interested in you. Tell yeah. me. And then in the end, he starts telling me about, you know, that he'd been researching Shilady stick fighting systems from Ireland. And he was saying that the systems that they had were very similar to the African stick fighting and the, the, the you know, the throwing clubs. And you're, you're like looking at him going, wow. So like he'd certainly be on the Rushmore. And then the next guy would be Gishin Funakoshi. So, uh, just just basically because of his, uh, yeah, again, he was he was just like a Japanese Helio Gracie, you know, right? The originator of karate, you know, that goes without saying. Then it would probably be, I would say Maeda. I wouldn't, I wouldn't actually put like Helio Gracie or Carlos Gracie in, just for the simple reason that if, especially if the guy, if, if guys are listening to this. And they've never they've never researched this. Just research some of the urban myths that, especially Helio Gracie, like when he rescued people from shark ones. I heard of it, something like that. Yeah, know, was that Helio? They said about right. I. Yeah, you know, yeah. So, like, uh, uh, the thing is, yeah, Helio Gracie's not making my Rushmore for the simple reason that he did the shark thing. I'd probably put Maeda in there as well. Uh, and then obviously the last guy that we put in. Right. Now that, that now this No, guy, come on, it's gotta be Judo Jean LaBelle. He's always the guy I start with. I, well you say. see well you see this is this is the thing, right? So I would put Judo Jean LaBelle in, but he would be the first guy to say, no, no. Uh, well, guess what? Take my take my face off and put General Zod. You know, from like Superman 2. You know, when, you know, when, you know when they went in and they redid Rushmore to make Zod get on it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Jean LaBelle is easily the coolest guy. Like, he's the original, he's the original MMA guy, right? Uh, he's the original. Yeah, that's why he's the he's the what, what, like people try and go. What's the first MMA fight? The first thing was judo. Like was Jean LaBelle going in there and strangling boxers and shit, wasn't it? Like what? that's that's that for me. That's the timeline. That should be the zero for MMA. Just Jean LaBelle. Yeah. Well, you see, this is a lot of people don't. A lot of people don't. You know, we talked earlier about the indigenous arts. Uh, you know, MMA now is the American martial art. You know, and it, it it's. And, and it is, you've got to give them their due. They've marketed it really well where, you know, the, it showed the, it showed the narrow, the, the, the very short term view that the Brazilians looked at it because, you know, and, and, uh, by the way, I'm, I'm aiming this directly at like, say, Horry and Gracie, because Horry and Gracie and Art Davey went in there thinking, right, this is an infomercial for Gracie Jiu Jitsu. And at the time, they like they they done all the right stuff, you know. They did the Playboy challenge where they were like, 
they put it in Playboy magazine that they would fight anyone, anywhere, anytime. And I remember when I read that, I read that in the 80s. And I was like, Gracie, that's a girl's name, man. And like, literally, <laughs> I was like, no wonder they had to learn how to fight. You know what I mean? And then, then I realized how devastating they were. And then they brought the, uh, they, the you know, they brought the different, the different styles into it. It was a style versus style. So it was never sport. And I, you know, I remember the early days where they were struggling and John McCain wouldn't, you know, yeah, like they yeah. sold it by that stage to Zuffer. The cock-rating thing, yeah. Yeah, they, they couldn't get anywhere. And I, I remember Eric Paulson telling me, when UFC 1 first came out, I don't know if you know this, right? But Eric Paulson was training with Hoist at the time. Yeah, no, I had Eric Paulson on the show last year, man. Yeah, he was telling me he was scheduled to fight. Well, I thought it was the second. one. Was it the very first one? Is that right? But uh, he was, he was, he was in the frame because when I did when I did my podcast with Eric, it was the same thing. And I said to Eric, I said, so what what was going on at the time? And he said, yeah, we were going to go in. Like obviously, uh, again, this is not this is all public record now. Like Hurry and Gracie, they, they'd they'd approached Hickson. Which like which would have just been an absolute bloodbath because Hickson was killing everybody at that time, you know. Yeah. And they they then went to Hoist, and then obviously this is a skinny kid, and and it it, it served the narrative very well, you know what I mean? But yeah, you know, I don't, I really don't think that the UFC would have become the folklorish thing in the early days that it would have done. Absolutely, you couldn't have picked, you could have scripted a better winner, like based on look and what is this new style. And yeah, you're right, man. It was if you were if you were going to the the odds would be amazing but if this was going to pay off this who you th this guy who's going to be a champion and how he's yeah. doing it yeah it was revolutionary stuff on it yeah they, they 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 did well but it was like you know i remember eric said to me he goes yeah so he goes i was in the frame he goes john mccarthy was there. i think john was a blue belt at the time so, oh, wow. but he was still with the lapd so john was there as well and john was like yeah i'll get into this as well and then eric said uh he approached uh hoist and I, I don't remember the whole details correctly, but it was along the way because he said, oh, no, uh, um, if you wouldn't mind, Eric, do you, do you fancy, uh, you know, training up this guy? And he said, what's his name? And he goes, it's uh, Ken, Ken Wayne Shamrock. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you know, I, it took a minute for me to register. And I went, Ken Shamrock? And he went, yeah. And I went, man, I didn't think that Ken Shamrock could get more hillbilly. But then when you put the middle, like you put the, the middle name Wayne into it, like, <laughs> I was expecting him to come out to a Johnny Cash track. You right, know? Yeah. Uh -huh. but, but it was like Eric said, he goes, yeah, because it would have been it would have been too much of a close run thing. And then obviously now, if you look at the way that the uh, way that the Americans have done it, um, you know, they, they have successfully mixed it now to the point that it's gone from being the redneck hillbilly tap out T-shirt wearing thing to it literally is. It's a a recognized and legitimate sport. You know, the, my only criticism is of it. The same way that back in the early days of playing ice hockey, that goalies, like, I don't know if you know this, it's a statistic, right? They played ice hockey. Uh, in ice hockey, I think it was 70 years after they, in, they, they brought in a mandatory, everybody had to wear a steel cup on their groin, that they actually started making wearing goalies wear masks, right? So you, you'll see where I'm going with this, right? Oh. Yeah, so... What it is, the same way that any sort of sport in its embryonic days doesn't realise the safety aspect is so important. So, like, you've got the NFL, you've got the, NA, uh, the NHL, right? Uh, even in England, where we look at some of the old footballers who are heading 
The bladder balls, eh? Exactly, right? Uh, they're all now suffering with CTE. Mm-hmm. I really, I really think, and I, I hope to God it doesn't happen, but I know that, you know, there's some serious like, recent issues like with Tony Ferguson, and trust me, I've had anxiety and I've suffered with depression, and it isn't fun. But the minute that any of that can get linked, any of that CTE can get linked in with injuries sustained from training, I think MMA is going to have a, yeah, pardon the pun, it's going to have a serious fight on its hands to stay legitimate. Yeah. And, and the problem is we've still got enough goombas in the combat sport game to have unlicensed boxing matches. You know, some of the white collar organizations aren't the smartest when it comes to doing their matchups as well. So that's going to ruin MMA. But the thing is with MMA, MMA is a sport and we're martial artists. So like the, the thing is we can talk about this because we don't really have a dog in the fight. Because anyone that we know that does MMA, you look at them and you go, yeah, yeah, but you won't, you're not going to do that when you're 70. No, of course not. No. Yeah, I, I want to, yeah, I want to be buried in a gi. That's my, that's my ambition, you know what I mean? <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. And I want to be, I want to be buried in the gi that I was wearing that morning when I've killed over in 96. <laughs> yeah. So my Rushmore, I tell you what, my Rushmore would be, it would be, it would be Jean LaBelle and, you know, uh, Literally, just for the fact that he's just he he is who he is, and uh, yeah, th- to tell you the, the truth, there would be nobody else. The only other person I would I would put in just from a martial arts aspect would be Lapu Lapu. You ever heard of this guy? No, tell me, please come uh, up. You're, you're like this, right? So Lapu Lapu was this Philip. He was a Filipino chieftain, right? And so Ferdinand Magellan, right? So. Yeah, one thing one thing you know about the Philippines is the Philippines probably it's got a name in the in that's been lost now in history. Yeah, like nearly every country in the world, you know. Yeah, I remember when your home ta- your home country was called the Ecos, you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. yeah. it, it's been lost. But what what it has been is because it's a collection of like seven hundred islands, they've always been at war with each other. Right. Uh, the Philippine Filipinos have always been mad. And they're called the Philippines because they were conquered. By Spain, you know, wasn't it? Was it? Yeah, by Spain. Yeah. King of Spain. And what, everyone knows who Marco Polo is and everyone knows who Columbus is. And, you know, a couple of historians will know who Magellan is, right? But Magellan made those guys look like amateurs. So he had gone around the world and he had kicked ass savagely, right? And he'd gone, <laughs> yeah, he'd gone and like, he just cut a suede. Let's put it this way, mate. He, like I'll tell you right now, John. It, yeah, you, you, if you look at the history of the, Be- the Belgian Congo, right? Mm-hmm. That, that that was like a tea party. You know what I mean? Compared to what? This when was Magellan's was. time? What kind of timeline are we talking here? Oh Jesus! Now you put me on the spot. But see, but he, he must be post Columbus then, if it's Philippines, I guess. So we're yeah, talking yeah, like yeah. gunpowder and stuff being invented. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. yeah. But, yeah. Well, this is this this is the thing, right? So Magellan's there, and he's got the te- you know, he's got superior technology. And what he was really, really smart at was he would go in and he would colonize, but he would still do the same thing. You know, Guru Dan tells this story way better than me, where it would be there'd be a Spanish galleon. And what you'd have is on the Spanish galleon, you would have it would be pri- primarily Filipino soldiers. Right. And you'd have one guy who'd be running the show uh, and he'd be he'd be a Filipino as well, or he might be a mixed Filipino. So he might be half Spanish and half Filipino. You know, uh, uh, this was after they'd been colonized. 
and he'd be given a gun, but he'd only ever be given one bullet because he wasn't trusted enough. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's it. That that would be the deal, right? Holy that, shit. Yeah, that was that was how that was. Yeah. So this is this is why I love the Filipino arts because it's like, right, we're going to take away your weapons from you. We're not going to let you train. And in the same way that capoeira had to be mm-hmm. practiced mm-hmm. and hidden in this way of dance. Like, uh, but the Filipinos were, they were like, right, what have we got? We've got rattan sticks. And like the way that the Filipinos look at it is they go, I've got that rattan stick, but I know how to use this. So see that assault rifle you've got, if I can get, if I can get close enough to you to be able to swing a stick at you, guess what? You'll have a bruise on your head and I'll have a stick and an assault rifle. That's how their, their mentality worked. And, uh, yeah, the Philippines are famous for being the only the only country to ever repel. They repelled every foreign invader. Like it took the Americans, the Americans, I think it was 103 years, and it was a it was more of a military action. They never called it a war. It was a military action, but they managed to get rid of those guys as well. But yeah, Magellan went, literally went around the Philippines. Uh, he went around the Philippines and he kept going. And he was going right. Well, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to pay a tithe and a tax anyway. So you might as well just pay it to Spain. We'll look after you. And guess what? You'll still be in charge because everyone's got that answer to somebody, right? And, like, obviously, he's going to all these different chieftains and that. And they're all like, yeah, 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 no problem. But I think you should go and see Lapu Lapu. And he's the man. And so, obviously, he's trying to feather his nest and get all these different guys on side. And then he goes to Lapu Lapu. And Lapu Lapu is famous for one thing. Uh, he's famous for being the guy who chopped off Ferdinand Magellan's head before he even managed to get his feet on dry land oh. in the Philippines. So if you want to talk about being a badass, you know, this is a guy who went all around the world and he was such a badass. Turns up and he is armed to the teeth. Mm-hmm. And this guy turns out and he's got a machete and the first thing he does is takes his head off. And like that, that will give you that, like, again, that's the mindset. So I would stick Lapu Lapu in. Uh, he would be an honourable mention next to uh, Judo Jean LaBelle. Oh, I stole him, man. That's cracking. But, 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 but again, all characters, you know, this is, you know, you know, this, you know, just when you hit every single one of those guys that we mentioned, like they're all inspirational characters and they're amazing, but they're all, look at them and you just go, they're just us. You know, if I just applied myself a little bit more, you know, it's that whole, everyone's got an Oscar winning performance in them. Everybody has got a Pan Am winning performance in them as long as you're prepared to do the shit that it takes to get you to the Pan Ams. Absolutely, man. It's all in us, for sure. 100% okay. agree. Doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to all be yeah, Oscar winning, but it, it can be you're winning, you're achieving goals or whatever. You're, you're rewarding yourself with with whatever whatever you've got going on, your success. And yeah. like, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be like, oh man, I won a million bucks or whatever. It doesn't, like, it can be anything. Success and happiness. Success and happiness is, is all subjective, anyway. You know, so it's all down to your perspective on what that is. It's like you know, well, you just mentioned the, uh, you, you mentioned you just mentioned the the Oscar winning performance. When I teach seminars, I always go, listen, you know, this is the problem. Every single person, every one of us, we want to be Marlon Brando, or we we want to be we want to be a a, a a you know a generation defining person at what we do. Right. And then some of us got to realize that, you know, we're just Ken Barlow. And that, yeah, you get a, get a bit of a kick out of it. And like, yeah, but it's Ken Barlow. And you're like, yeah, maybe it's Ken Barlow. But guess what? Look, uh, you, you know, he, he's raised two families. 
That guy's been in work consistently. And you know what? That comes on the TV. You'll still watch him, right? And they're like, oh, wow. And I'm like, yeah, you got to remember, there's a sliding scale. It's, I, I remember for a long time in martial arts, there was a lot of this positive positive thinking stuff going on and a lot of yeah, good friends of mine were all into it and they're using it as like a well they, they were using it as a vehicle for personal development which i get mm -hmm. but they were like they, they didn't realize that the ability to throw a good front kick or the ability to do a good spinning armbar wouldn't necessarily translate to being really good at business and vice versa yes but they looked at it in a very simplistic term and said, but if you can do that, why can't you do that? And I was like, no, what, what you got to do is you got to look at martial arts and go, guess what? I'm really good at a front kick, but my side kick sucks. What I need to do is I need to make sure that for the rest of my life, I'm never in a position that I have to depend, my life will depend on me throwing a fucking sidekick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty simple, you know. But well, the basic ideas are right, though. You're right, what you're saying about that. Like, that's a good uh, framework to have uh, if, if you're hardworking or the, the philosophies apply in martial arts, because I do that myself, then I can apply, um, like, whatever, whatever your job is, man, whatever struggles or life's going to throw at you, you can use martial arts as a vehicle to, like, help overcome that. But you're right, it doesn't directly plug in. It's up to us, the individual, to make things fit in it. Uh, well, it, it you're, so, you're so, so true. It's like, um, you, you know, the one thing that we, we, we touched on it earlier, uh, the one thing, yeah, I threw out a couple of names for there. The one thing that I have found, especially with the jiu-jitsu community, uh, is... You will, you, you'll, you'll find this and it, it, it never ceases to amaze me that I, I get friends of mine who are nice people. Uh, they wouldn't be intellectual heavyweights in any way, shape or form. That's not being judgmental. It's just that, that it's not what they're interested in. And then they get into jujitsu and then what they do is they actually become addicted to or that at the very least they enjoy the process of learning. And when you fall in love with learning, it literally is more addictive than crack because the next thing you know, you're chatting to them and then they'll go, uh, have you listened to any of uh, Joe Rogan? And you're like, yeah, you know, yeah, he's, he's a bit bro science, but yeah, I do like him. And then, and you know, and he, you know, the, the one thing with Joe Rogan, I, I, you know, I've loved Joe Rogan from way back in the day when he used to be like doing Fear Factor and when he was just actually just a comedian, you know, and he was doing the early UFCs and stuff. And I really liked him. My only criticism with Joe Rogan is he talks about stand-up comedy like, you know, like he's fucking Marie Curie, you know. So, like, <laughs> like, it's like, you know, he's like, oh, man. And you're like, look, you know, it's not really, it, it's it not really life or death, man. You know, it, it, it don't get me wrong. You know, I've done some stand-up and it, it's, 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 it's tough and it's nerve-wracking. But the one thing that I have found is because I'm like quite a sociopathic individual, I don't really care about what, how people actually think about me. Yeah, you've probably got to have that attitude, right? You can't not. Yeah, you, yeah. you can't be yeah. vain. You can't be vain if you're doing stand-up. No, no. no. Yeah, but you see, with, with Rogan, what Rogan will do is Rogan will get you in, and then he'll get like Gard Saad or he'll get you know Jordan Peterson, or he'll get you know he'll get um, yeah Ben Shapiro in. And you'll look at it and then you go, right, okay, you know, my set, my, my dear friend Nathan Everton, we always talk about this all the time because as me and Nathan say, if we ever just sat and talked about the stuff that we are so both, like that we have diametrically opposing views on, we, I don't think we'd ever talk to each other again 
But what we what we do is we understand that there's a lot of areas that we actually really agree on. So we talk about that, and then every now and again we'll touch on something, you know. And he'll go, no, I don't think you should. Talk. We shouldn't. We shouldn't go down that route, Mick. And they go exactly. And it literally, again, it's like analogous for like you, you, rolling in in jujitsu. It's like you know, if you want to, you can put your arm in between somebody's legs, you know, see how that will work. And if you're smart enough and you can bait to go for a slap, that's a great. And it's the same way with conversation. But then that's the same way with life. And that is the 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 the, the constant reminder that I keep getting now especially from Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And bear in mind that jiu-jitsu is what I'm training 70% of the time in. But guess what? Jiu-jitsu is probably 10% of what I actually teach. Yeah, man, it's, 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 a, it's a beautiful thing as Brazilian jiu-jitsu for sure, man. I'm so, found, I'm so glad that I found that um, started Taekwondo <laughs> when I was 10, but jiu-jitsu was like when I was like 30. I mean, yeah. it's so long until... Yeah, you, see, you see, as I said, it underpins, it underpins everything that you got. This is the one thing, right, you know, uh i'd like i like I, you know i know you you're you're supposed to be asking the questions but i'd like to ask you this one right so when you went into taekwondo and you know it was the answer to all your answer to everything right so it had everything that you needed at that time yeah because it, it is the truth when you go into a martial art it becomes like the swiss army knife for you so mm-hmm. it's got everything that you need mm-hmm. and then when you got into jujitsu did you do the old greek tragedy of having to kill your father you know, have you ever noticed that when people leave one martial arts go to another, they immediately have to not just, you can't just turn around and say it wasn't for me. You have to discredit it. It's like Greek philosophy. It's like, right, yeah, do you know what? Yeah, if I believe, if, if, yeah, if, if, if I'm going to go down, if I'm going to go down, down the Plato route, then there's no way that I can go down the Socratic route as well. Mm. And then, and then after a while, you just go, do you know what? It's just different flavours. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, that's exactly what I did. I didn't look at it like I had to kill one off to go and attempt another. I just looked at it, Mick, like I was stepping into another universe. Like, fish out of water is so cliche, but something like that. I was like, oh, right, okay, these people are still people, but I I am not of this world, and I better learn this quick or I'm going to get strangled. Yeah, like, well, it, 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 literally, it, it literally is like the Matrix. It's the red pill. And yeah. it, it, is, it really is funny because... Yeah, I, I went back and looked at that again, and uh, yeah, it's it's a bit of a funny thing because at the time it was totally and utterly groundbreaking, and the bullet time whole process that they were doing, the filming and everything was amazing. And now you look at it, and it's almost hackneyed and cliched when you look at the Matrix. And then obviously the problem is, you know, look at the you look at the Matrix. It's like looking at the the original Highlander movie. You can't judge <laughs> Matrix on that movie. What you do is, like, it's like when you look at Highlander now, you can't look at that and not remember planet, you know, the planet Zeist in like Highlander 2. So what happens is because, because you know, something comes along, something originally comes along and it's mind-blowing, and then people go, right, I'm going to try and catch the lightning in a bottle again, and then it becomes shit. And then obviously it devalues what your original thing was, right? And what I'm saying with it is, the, the, with the matrix especially you have that red pill moment like that classic iconic sign uh scene where you know they're sitting down in that post-apocalyptic thing yeah. and then he goes you know and then that cypher goes you go back i bet you think of yourself god i wish i took the blue pill mm-hmm. and you 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 know jujitsu my, my 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 bjj professor neil simpkin always says the same thing there's only two types of people in the world that do jujitsu 
you go in there, yeah, you get like the worst wake up call in the world and you go back and you pretend it never existed. And he goes, and some people can live with that. That's great. He goes, but then there's other people that go in. And again, I'm, uh, I think, I think it was Joe Rogan who said it. He said that the first time he ever rolled with anyone who knew what they were doing on the floor, there was that realization halfway through where it's like, this guy could actually rape me. <laughs> and you go, wow. I want to see it deep, but that's the wrong choice. That's, deep, that's deep, right? And then, and then, and then, it, it, then he added a few years later, he turned around and he goes, then you go and train with someone who's really good, but you can train them a little bit longer. So, you know, initially, like, it, it, it'd be the same thing as getting attacked, right? The first time you get attacked, it's that initial shock. And then you just think to yourself, well, you know what? I wasn't prepared for it. Uh, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure that I'm going to, you know, bulletproof myself and I'll never do it again. And then what you get with jujitsu is, because it's quite a masochistic thing, it's, it's the, one of the only things I've found in life where you have to be both masochistic and sadistic in it, you know. And there, there, there's, there's moments where you're passing somebody's guard and you're just at that point where you're like, the maniac is there, mm-hmm, you know. Yeah. You're really there and then you have to rein it in and go, no, no. And, you know, it's the old Roger Gracie thing where it's like, you know, you have to fire in the belly and ice in the brain, right? Mm-hmm. And that's hard to have. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, but Joe Rogan said, he goes, you get to do the training. You get to this position where you're like, yeah, now I know what I'm doing. He goes, and then you find out that you go up against someone who's really good. And you're like, he could rape me. And guess what? He can actually make me fit. He can make me pretend now that I'm enjoying it. And you're like, God almighty. Now that's a wake up call, you know, to, to like to reframe the thought to the point that it's like, I, I'm at a point now where it's beyond being scary. It's a point now where I can, this guy can actually he can emotionally break me. And I don't know if you've seen that in training. You know when you see guys walking out of the gym and you know when you see the guy with his head down, I always do the same thing. If I ever see anyone with their head down walking out of the gym, I just quickly grab them and say, bro, you okay? Is everything all right? Because nine times out of ten, it isn't what's going on on the map. It's going on what in life. But the problem is, What's going on in life has an awful way, unless you keep the barriers up, of coming in. And then the next thing you know, tapping out to a white belt, three-strike white belt, who's Kamoraja, and, you know, then becomes like a major issue, you know. So that's the one thing that I, I, I don't know what you think, but I'm always very mindful that I don't ever want to see broken people walk away from the mat. I mean, yeah. I, 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 I hear what you're saying, man. I guess it's like, uh, well, I'm broken just now, right, right on the mats. I had a pretty, I had my first big proper injury in September, my meniscus. I'd never done any knee injuries before. Ow. And uh, it was like, yeah, don't train for the rest of the year. And I kind of did some technique, I'm not going to lie, but like I didn't, wasn't sparring or anything. And I go back to training start of this year. And my main problem just now is just my gas tank. Because like you were saying at the top of the show, yeah. man, take, what was it like, take two weeks off, like two weeks off, two weeks off can be a lifetime, man. If you see if you're training for jiu-jitsu for like a decent amount of time, oh, like that feels like forever and it's everything's just regressed and then trying to get your fitness back. So I'm in that kind of spot just now. Like I don't mind if I'm leaving broken because then I know I got a good, uh, a, a good roll on, do you know what I mean? I need it. I need, no, no, I need this torture just now. The physically broken thing, but when you say... You, but mentally broken, yeah, that's different. Yeah, the mentally, the mentally and the emotionally broken thing. It's funny you really said something there, because I've used this line a few times. The one reason why jiu-jitsu is so addictive is because, the, the you know, the improvement curve is like, it go, it's like exponential growth. It's so quick. 
And the minute that you're able to make the connection that, right, once I'm in this position, and it is, you know, Bruce Lee was way ahead of his time when it came to reference point training. Yeah, and John Kavanagh is a big fan of it as well, because uh, I've listened to a few of his things when he's talking about it. But it's like, right, I don't know how to get from, yeah, because it's, it's always the same thing. You meet the first guy that you ever train with and what they do, you always say, listen, right, just because you've grabbed my limb and gone 60 mile an hour in a fucking other direction doesn't mean it's going to work, mate. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, yeah, and you've already shown me what your intention is. So it's like the guy, like he's hanging off your neck or he's trying to can open you or something. And you're like, listen, mate, you know, you, you got to start. You're, you're so far away from where you need to be. You need to do this. Like uh, when I'm teaching kids, especially if I'm doing positional play, I always say to them, uh, and it's, it's dated now, uh, I always say it's like Crash, crush Bandicoot. And they're like, what do you mean? And I went, you know, there's a checkpoint in the game. And they went, buddha, buddha. And then, you know, every time you, you know, every time that you game, hit that checkpoint, yeah, you, you hit that checkpoint, go, buddha, buddha. And that's what I do when I'm training with these guys. I said, right now, do you know what the score is now? It means that even if I get lost now, mm-hmm. I know I, this is where the game will restart for me. And they're like, oh, oh, wow, wow. And once you realize where you can go off on these checkpoints, mm-hmm. then you've got it. And you look at it and you go, wow, jiu-jitsu is amazing. And uh, initially, you, you you do think you're a genius because you're discovering it. You're not being taught this. Yeah. You know? And because it's self-discovery, you know, our ego doesn't allow us to understand that there's possibly a lot of other people who have discovered that exact same thing. It's like that crazy um it's like you've been let into the club now and it? it's like everyone knew this before you and then oh yeah i've got it now and you walk in you're like hey you're finally you're here at the party yeah yeah, yeah exactly now you're clued up and there's there's this i can't remember there, there is a term for it uh where it's like a universe there's this it basically it's it's stuff like understanding crop rotation or or agriculture or astronomy was a big one like back in the day right uh uh where there was certain parts of the world where they all made the same huge paradigm shifts in understanding roughly within like 50 years of each other. And it, it, I, I, I can't remember, it wasn't an Andrew Marr book, I can't remember what book it was I read, but literally it was all about the, there's universal th- truths that basically translate into every language. You know, there's just stuff, you know, if you just think of like, like the laws of physics type thing, and that's where that's where you have it with jujitsu, where it's like you know every now and again we'll see some new stuff, and you'll see Keenan or Cornelius will do some worm guard, yeah. and then you look at it and you go, wow, that's amazing. And then you just think, yeah, but somebody else would have just discovered that. You know, it, again, it goes back to the like the Magellan thing. It's like, okay, he was smart because he discovered it, but anybody else who would have had a boat and the money from King Philip of Spain would have discovered it too. Yeah, uh, yeah, someone so, was coming at some point, I guess. Right, that sounds bad, yeah. but. Exactly, exactly. So it, you know, as it, it's it, it's it's as as, as yeah, we, we've said before. Because yeah, yeah, I'm very mindful that we just it's just talking about jujitsu, but because we're doing a lot of it, it's a big thing to do. But it it just it gives you the wake up call on everything. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, man. Meg, let's get to fan questions because we're a wee bit short on time, man. I'll usually do an hour and we're way past that just now, but let's, oh, let's do it, man. Let's do it. Um, I've got some from Twitter, some from Facebook, so I'll, I'll just shout them out and, and let's yeah, see yeah, your thoughts. Yeah, I'll tell you right. what, you, you for Max, do you know what we have done? We're, like, we're just going to have to repay the favour. So this is, the, this is the score, guys, listening in. 
we will do this. And then the second half, me and you will do, and we'll do it on mixed martial arts. And that way, I'll turn the tables on you a little bit, and we can still do this crazy ass, sounding like Joe Rogan, Eddie Bravo, <laughs> without smoking all the weed, like existential shit. Speak that for yourself. <laughs> okay, let's go. Okay, on Twitter, let's do it, man. Uh, first one at Else for Elf. Uh, oh, I've seen this one before. Could Bruce Lee's one-inch punch kill a guy? Yeah, could could it kill a guy? Uh, yeah, if there was a knife on the end of it, I suppose, yeah. Um, <laughs> you don't um, buy it? No, I've, I've just no, seen no, the no, video. No, no, I, I, do you know what? I, I, I still teach it. I still teach it on seminars. It's physics. Uh, like, the thing is, I really, I, as I've said before, right, that my, my problem is, for all of my braggadocious nature and, like, a lot of BS that I come out with, my underlying message has always been truth. Like, to thine own self be true, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, the Chinese convinced us it was chi. Uh, the Japanese co- convinced us it was, you know, it was key. You know, like, it, you know, the Jedis convinced us that it was midiochlorines. Uh, guess what it is? It's just physics. What you've got is you've got Bruce Lee understanding that force, mass, acceleration and gravity work. So literally when he was doing the one inch punch, Basically, what he was doing was everything was going down into a concentrated position into somebody's solar plexus. Uh, what it did, what yeah, the, the whole killing thing, I don't really get. The lessons from that, unbelievable. What what you're understanding is that instead of treating everything in life like a marathon, sometimes it is literally a sprint. And you know, the best example I can give right now is. Uh, if you had the choice between between buying a Volvo and a Tesla, you buy a Tesla. And it'd be like, why would you do it? Because you can do 0 to 60 in 2.3 seconds. And you're like, but when will I ever need that? And you go, I'll never need that. And it's the same as the, the one-inch punch. What the one-inch punch will teach me is that I will, I, I, I'm able to generate some seriously good power right when I need it, as long as all the stars are in alignment. So, you know, it won't kill anybody. But you know what? It was groundbreaking in its day. What you, the, the one thing, if you don't mind me saying, the one thing that, you know, whenever, even though I said I wasn't a Bruce Lee fan, when you start judging Bruce Lee, you've got to remember when he did the one inch punch at the Long Beach thing, right? That was what, 1966? Is that the video? It always goes around. I've just seen that video. The, yeah, 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 is that yeah, the one? Yeah. Right. yeah, that was the one. But you, you, what, yeah, what he was teaching was he was teaching an understanding of force generation, uh, which, you know, it, it still works. And like, I, I, I'll tell you right now, I've actually used that. The, the, those principles, I've used those principles in reality when I've just put my hand on somebody's shoulder and been able to drop an, drop an elbow, just a sharp cut an elbow across the head. And like, they didn't even see it coming. But what you had to remember is they didn't know they were going to get hit. I knew I was going to hit them. They were drunk. I was sober. I was getting paid to do it. They weren't. And literally, it was a case of this is a guy that I... I know I couldn't beat. I could not beat this guy if we did the old John Wayne quiet man put the jukes up thing. So literally, I put my hand on his shoulder and said, "Listen, man, can we talk?" And literally, once I put my hand on his shoulder, I know I was enraged to drop a snap elbow on him and put him down. And everyone's like, "Wow, that was amazing!" And I went, "It wasn't really. It was a fucking cheap shot." But what, <laughs> but, what, but what it was was it was enough to scare the guy. Enough to scare the guy for the guy then to spend a couple of years being wary of me and then end up becoming my friend. Yeah. So it was a win-win uh-huh. situation. So yeah, you know, 
you don't kill a guy, but do you know what it will do? It'll help you get a friend every now and again. There you yeah. go. So there you go, mate. Just start elbowing people in the head um, <laughs> and you get a friend yeah. for life. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. Uh, at Alan Payne, I follow you on Twitter. Seems like you're quite a fan of feminism, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, we actually did mention this. A this is hilarious, man. The show, right? uh, fan of feminism. I'll tell you right now, uh, one of my biggest... Well, when we, I guess, I don't know, I don't want to speak for a guy, but we're talking about feminism. Feminism from when it was the 60s to feminism now are two completely different things for what third, matters. Third wave, but this, this third and fourth wave feminism. Right. It's not the same yeah. thing. Load, load of nonsense. What, what it is, like, from my personal perspective, I'll tell you right now, one of my major teachers in Carleen JKD is a woman called Guru Diana, Diana Rathborn, who is a wonderful human being. She looks like a hockey mom. And she's like, literally, when you see her, you 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 think that she was either going to go go to bingo, she was going to go to bingo, or she was going to go and buy groceries for her kids, right? <laughs> and literally, she it, like she teaches law enforcement, she teaches the military. She's unbelievably good at martial arts, and just happens to be a woman. Like uh, one of my favourite teachers in BJJ is Neil Simpkin's daughter, Charlie Simpkin who famously, I gave her a first ever seminar when she was 15, and we had 80 people, on, uh, 78 people on the mat. And uh, it was funny because a couple of guys were like, who's, who's the young girl? What's she doing? She's doing the warm-up. And then within, like, I got her to do the first hour and a half, and at the end of that hour and a half, the guys were like, is it okay if the young girl just stays on and teaches? She's way better than you. And she was mugging me off and making a few jokes. So I, d- I don't judge people by their gender, by their sexual orientation, certainly not by their age, because some of the young, some of the some of my really young friends are just better better at martial arts than me, and they'll teach they teach me stuff. What I don't like is I don't like hiding behind any banners. And what you've got is we're so you know I know we come out with a load of pop culture references all night, but it literally is. I look at society the way it is right now, and I'm expecting. Liam Neeson, I, I could have come out with you there because Liam Neeson's got himself into a lot of trouble recently. He's got a, he's, yeah, he's got a particular set of skills, and then he's got a particular set of tweets that he wishes he should have got, he should have got rid of, right? But uh, you know, you know where he plays where he plays Razal Gaul in Batman, and he turns around, he goes when when you know when when a society gets still with a kind of Irish accent as well. I've noticed in every movie, yeah, still yeah, that right, little, yeah. little twinge in there, Razal Gaul. Do you know what I did like? You know, to go a little bit off kilter on this, I really liked the way that when Tom Hardy was playing Bane, he still had that same timber in his voice. You maybe adopted the dog. Yeah. That you know, and yeah. he, he just sounded like Raz Al Ghul. Like they, it was like we learn how to kill people, <clears> but <throat> David Niven's going to teach us how to fucking talk at the same time. So uh, yeah, it was, <laughs> it, it, was, it was. I tell you what, what, what it, what it is, is we're in a position in society you know, right now where we are that indulged that we are now finding shit that means nothing to be pissed off about. So like, especially on Twitter, when you were talking about the feminism thing, uh, I've, I've said this before, go on Twitter. I swear to God, I have more blocks than fucking Minecraft on Twitter. That's how many people have blocked me. It's like a Tetris game on my thing now, right? Because the minute you do anything, if you put up a counter argument to anybody, they immediately block you. Uh, which is always amazing. It always amuses me because, uh, and astounds me because the people that block you are always self-avowed liberals. What, what, bear in mind, I'm a classical liberal. 
you know, but these are like these new wave liberals. Right? Mm-hmm. And what they'll do is they go, yeah, I believe in freedom of speech. And then you look at it and go, oh, I, I don't know. It, you know, it basically tofu, tofu for you, you know? Yeah, yeah. Tofu, tofu for you, 2.6 has blocked you, Mick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. You like freedom of speech, so like, the the feminism one's the the one that gets me because most strong women I know are turning around and they go fucking feminism. Why do I need it? You know, I've got I've got friends of mine who that they're, they're, I've got one friend at the moment. Uh, well, we've been friends for years, but she turned around and she she's single at the moment because her husband was giving her a hard time about going to get a job. Went and got a job, and then he's like, no, no. You know what? It's all about equality. And, you know, you need to make as much money as me. And she was like, yeah, yeah. And then when she made as much money as him, she looked at him and she said to him, look, dude, you know, all you do is make me feel bad. You, you drag me down. I don't need you. And he, 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 that was when she said, you know, people go on about feminism and equality. You've got to be careful what you ask for, because guess what? I've, uh, you know, I, I, I've, I've woke up now and I, I'm like, right, OK. And it, it's bizarre because the only people that I see arguing for feminism and now this will make me sound really bad, right? But it's the truth. Are these awful beta males with an, like, an agenda who, like, you know, they're, they're, like, I didn't realise that all these terms like gaslighting and gatekeeping and all this. Like, it, I, don't, I, I, I don't even know. I've heard them, but yeah, I don't even know what they mean. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't understand them. But like, literally, it's word soup when I, when I listen to it, mm-hmm. right? But you see these guys and they're like, they call it white knighting where they come in and they go, yeah, do you know what? I believe in feminism. And then, you know, and then someone will say to me, what do you think of feminism? And I went, I actually think that being a warrior isn't fucking gender specific. And what you got to remember is I believe that getting up and doing 45 hours a week doing a job that you actually hate because you've got people dependent on you or you're all you say you're single. You're doing a job 45 hours a week so that you can actually truly live for six hours a week on the mat or eight hours on the week on the mat or, you know, whatever the time constraints and the money will allow you to do that you can do that. And then everyone's like, yeah, but you should be able to live all the time. And you go, yeah, but some people don't even get to live as they are for one day. Uh, and like, yeah, I, I just really believe that we're looking for problems that don't exist. You know, right. I'll tell you right now, if you want to talk about, you know, fighting for feminist rights, go over to Saudi Arabia right now. I'll tell you what, go and find those girls that Boko Haram took, you know, go and find these people who are at it. And yeah, and that's uh, and that's just not a, a slight on just one religion, by the way, because we, 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 yeah, the, the Western world we've got some serious issues. But guess what? In this country where we are right now, I really don't think that we can jump on that and say that we're having a shit time. Not compared to the people who are actually having a shit time. So I really believe that. I really believe that we're doing them a disservice. So that's why I have uh, problems with feminists. And not only that, they're dead easy to wind up. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's pretty easy, man. Yeah, I don't have a dog in the fight on anything. I don't think movements of any description, feminism, doesn't matter what it is. They've not got the answers. Um, and I'm kind of the mindset as well. I've got a family to feed and, and uh, bills to get paid. So, yeah, there's a lot of people looking for shit to do. And it seems like they're... They're yeah. all finding each other now online and then it becomes a movement. I think that's yeah, really what's going on. You, you know, you, you totally hit the nail on the head. You know, it's like, uh, I, I have I have one particular friend of mine who was giving me some hard time because um, I, well, I, I'd, raised, I'd raised some money for a, a, a group called Friends of Palestine, right? And literally it was only because it was for an orphanage there. 
started, it was this orphanage, raised the money, and they started going on about Hamas. And I said, Got nothing, yeah, well, I don't have a dog in the fight. I, 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 I was asked to do something, raise some money, this is going to these kids. That's all I know. And that's all I care about. And then what I did was I had these radical characters who were really, really behind the whole Palestinian movement thing. And they were like, yeah, now, now we've got you on board. And I said, no, no, I'm not on board. I, I just saw these kids suffering. That's all I'm doing. I don't want to get involved in the rest of it. And they were like, but it's really, really bad. And I went, but both sides are really, really bad. And then they were really putting it on to me. And I bear in mind, one of them, his name is, uh, uh, this is no word of a lie, right? His name is Julian, right? Okay. So, yeah, so Julian's there. So first of all, Julian was never going to be a, he was never going to be an electrician on the building site next to me. So that's one thing, right? So secondly, he's from a pretty privileged position, right? And that, Apologies to anyone called Julian who's listening. Who's an electrician as well, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but, but, but the situation is, right, is Julian starts putting it on me. And I was like, right, so you're single, Julian. Went, yeah. I uh, said, so you're never going to get married. Went, no. And you're like 38. And he went, yeah. And I said, you own two houses. He went, yeah. So, so yeah, you really believe in this movement and you're a passionate activist. And he went, yeah. So, so how come you haven't sold one of your houses, moved over to, moved over to Palestine, and actually opened up your own orphanage. And he was like, uh, 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 I said, or is it the fact that, you know, you like banging women who wear dungarees and smell of patchouli oil? And like, he looked at me for a minute, he went, uh, 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 uh. And like, yeah, I said, just be honest about it, mate. You know, some people go to health clubs to meet women. I said, you obviously go to whatever meeting you've gone to. And he looked at me and he goes, no, I can't believe you said that. And then, you know, it was that realisation where it was like, bastard this guy knows me and, and i'm like yeah and there's nothing wrong with that by the way you know there's nothing yeah man if that's the angle you're working like that's that's fine like I, I, and i've no problem with people going out there and being in groups and involved whatever but like i, I do think a lot it's a load of shape <laughs> yeah yeah but, but, as, as i say in scotland there is a load of pish and like my, my whole my whole situation is, is like this right i have three i have three sons 18 23 27 the two oldest Both. boys are teachers both have both both history teachers both have their own places today you know we're talking now on the sunday night i taught my class in the morning and i spent an hour and a half rolling with my boys my uh, my youngest is just getting into just getting into jujitsu now but like all young guys he looks at stuff sees it twice and he's able to do it my uh mm. my eldest my eldest son is 27 very good you know really really solid blue belt feisty mad for the rook and what what I what I know is, I know that if every single person on the planet who was in a position of authority like me as a father was able to just have a balanced relationship with the people that lived in their house and they brought up, we wouldn't have any of these problems. Because it yeah everybody wants yeah everybody wants to change the world and none of them are able to change their underwear. You know it's the whole. It's the whole Jordan Peterson thing. Like, you want to change the world, you can't even tidy up your room. Tidy up your room first, and then come and see me. You know, and that and that's how that's how it works, man. So I'm, I'm mindful of the time for you. So next question. <laughs> well, well, we've got quite a few, but let's just take one more. I'm looking through some of them from Facebook. Um, a lot of them are uh, on the long those lines, but I was wanting to just change up because uh, Mick McCann was asking what your thoughts. Oh no, sorry, not Mick McCann. What was that girl's name? Susan Rickles. Uh, she says enjoyed your interview with Dan Hardy. That's what it was. I didn't know you'd interview Dan. Um, oh yeah, great guy. She, she was just asking what he was like because he's yeah, a good guy. Whatever. Dan uh, Dan Hardy is. Uh, Dan is 
Um, easily one of the most accomplished true martial artists that I know. I met Dan Hardy now. This or this uh, from your, your your neck of the woods. You'll you'll like this. I'm trying to I'm trying to think what year it was. Two thousand and I want to say two thousand and was this a for a UFC? Eight. No, this was Cage Warriors. Cage Warriors, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. So this is Cage Warriors, and I'll tell you who was the headline in the bill was a really good friend of mine, Neil McLeod, who's a JKD guy. He was one of the first guys that used to fight MMA, Valet Chudo back in the back in the day. Day, you know, this was like this was this was when Cage Warriors was like Cage Warriors six or something, right? right. And Dan Hardy had fought on the bill. Jimmy Wallhead had fought on the bill. I was sitting on a table watching like my, a friend of mine uh who one day will will if i yeah if, if you can, if, if i can ring him up in prison i really want to interview him it was one of the original guys who was behind cage warriors a guy called andy linnis really really nice guy and uh andy me and him had our first ever karate lesson together at, at 16 and then he actually broke my foot you know we had a bit of a challenge fight because basically it was two guys that it was like who who could beat who could beat who and it was a couple, it was like we were we were all part of a group of friends. And it was like, so who, you know, who, who could beat who? And I said I could, and he said he could. So literally we got into a we got into a rook. And he just stood on my, he stood on my left foot and he uh, he basically clubbed me over like uh, Chuck Liddell style with this massive overhand right. And as he did it, he stepped hand on my foot, so it snapped my ankle. And we carried on fighting. Fast. carried on fighting and then I, I had to go back and have my ankle fitted anyway and then obviously he got into MMA uh, promotion I was still training at the time and he said to me he goes do you want to come to this thing so I, it was Neil McLeod main event third fight in the this if you guys are listening and you've never seen these fights they're on YouTube watch them best literally it's the best trilogy that we ever had in the UK do you remember Paul McVeigh who used to fight oh yeah I know Paul well yeah you know Paul right so Paul Paul fought Neil, right? He used he was with Dinky Ninjas at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So he he was there, and on that table there was myself, Ian Freeman. Yep. Ian Freeman, Dan Hardy, uh, Paul McVeigh's girlfriend at the time, two mates of mine from Coventry, and there was somebody else. God, I can't remember. He fought on the night. Mark Goddard was referee in there. It was when it's it's where if you go on YouTube now, you see the guy who runs in and he had the old uh, tracksuit bottoms where you pull the tracksuit off. You know where it had the, the, the pop offs. Love yeah, those man. Love the pop offs. Yeah, yeah. So my was... mother always loved the pop offs for a really sick, weird reason. When I was twelve, she was like, "Do you know if you were ever in an accident, like a car crash, they could just pop these off and fix your leg dead easy?" <laughs> I was like, "Why would you even think that?" <laughs> You buy me these, and that's your first thought. What a weird yeah, thing! Yeah. It's like Billy, like Billy, the old Billy Connolly joke. It's like change your underwear. Why? Just in case you're just in a car accident. accident no. he goes, Why? He goes, well, we've got got some got something to tell you. What is it? Your son's dead. It gets worse. What was it? Eyes. Oh, fucking trousers were on. And then obviously it was like Billy Connolly's like. I don't think my mother actually understood that if you were conscious of the fact that you were going to get run over, the trousers <laughs> would probably be the first thing that would be ruined. You know yeah. What I mean? But yeah, going back to Dan, that, that the first time I ever met him was literally that night, and he was just building up his outlaw persona thing at the time, and he 
had the uh, Mohican haircut going on and sat down. We started talking and he's easily one of the coolest guys ever. But he's also really like he's just a very well read man. Uh, if you haven't read his book, I really recommend getting that the part reptile book. Uh, and he's done all of the like he's done the ayahuasca ceremony a few times, which, uh, you know, if I was younger, I'd probably do, you know, what I mean, to say the truth, just to just to you know, oh. expand my consciousness and decalcify the third eye. I know that makes me sound like Eric Paulson, Maya, but um, I would do that. But yeah, Dan is just he's so good. And the, his role now is like this like fight analyst like his his color commentary is amazing i personally think his commentary it's between him he gets excited man i like it yeah, I do like him. Him, him and dominic him and dominic cruz i would say the best two color commentators i uh, yeah rogan i like but like his hyperbole is a bit crazy but i don't know if if you saw the fight last week you know the darren till mm-hmm. fight the big upset right mm-hmm. but, yeah it's a did you see Dan Hardy? Did you see Dan Hardy? Like he's still a fan, because there's that scene where he's, he's jumping up, screaming, no. right yeah. out of it. But yeah. like, you know, God Almighty, now that last week was something else. That was a that was like I, I watched the Wonder. So was the four punch combination after the interview? Did you see that with uh, well, yeah. Edwards? Mazival, yeah, yeah. Well, you see both. The, the thing is that that the whole thing with Leon Roberts is there's a little bit of hype there. This, that's the one thing that the UFC are really um, actually I, I actually did want to just touch on this um, if you don't mind is the UFC has been great because it's it's not MMA it's the UFC I do some work for Bellator and I think their products amazing and I you know some of the guys who fight for them are amazing they still ha- and I do like that throwback to the the Gong Show crazy. Uh, Scott Coco calls them the, the fun fights. You know where you got like you know literally the next thing that Scott Coker will have is like a cross-dressing dwarf fighting like you know <laughs> Zulu Zeno or someone. You know what I mean? Like I, 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 yeah, because he he gets some really obscure characters, but then you get some great fights in there as well. So that you know that is good. But when you think about MMA now, it's just synonymous with the UFC, right? And it's like it's people just go, oh, it, it's UFC. Mm-hmm. And when you're in that marketplace and you are the market leader, I think there's a there's a, a level where you have to go right. Okay, um, there's a responsibility. The Mazival thing, uh, um, I, I I I think that was part, as they say in the wrestling game. I think that was part of a work that ended up becoming like a shoot, as I say. Yeah, because so, like I've had, uh, not Leon, but I've had Fabian on the, the show, Leon's brother, and both yes. both Leon and Fabian, like they're quite cocky, so I'm, I don't want to say mouthy, like in a disrespectful <laughs> way to them, because I don't want to get my ass kicked by them, but like they're mouthy because they know how to big up a they fight, start. like you're saying, whereas Masvidal was just like, what's that? And just, yeah, it ended do, do, up. Do you, know, do you know what it is? Yeah, do, for the young guys who are listening, they're like this. What you've got is, You've got yeah yeah. You know, so those like Fabian and his brother Leon, they're training out a renegade now. So that they're with they're, they're with they're with a good group. You know my you know really good mate of mine, Tom Coffey's there, who's a beast by the way. If you ever get the chance to interview Tom, I would do. Yeah, Tom Brees is in there as well. These guys are, these guys are animals, right? They're really really good, but because they're young and they're hungry, and because the UFC's created this, they've created this almost acceptable level 
of trash talking that they go right okay well that isn't actually an op- it, that's an option now how, how i can sell a fight yeah. and connor connor mcgregor uh i've been a big fan of his from back in the day when there was that dvd um god what what was it called god a dvd it, on connor i don't know there, there's a dvd and connor is one it, it's like almost if you imagine like it's like an anthology of three separate guys following their journey in mma and it's right. uh, set in Northern Ireland. I'll tell you what I will do. I'll message you later as soon as I get to Google. Oh, I think I do know what you're talking about. I don't know. Maybe what I Google. I'm dead spotty. And, you know, he's coming out with claims that you just think. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, I have seen that. And so he's taken on the world. And uh, I, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's so delusional. And then yeah. I, remember, I remember being in New York. Let me see. So. I remember. I remember. I was in Henzo. I was at Henzo's in a, in uh, two thousand and nine, and when I went in there, GSP was training at the time, and you know, I was like, "Man, this is like this is so cool," and it was amazing. I was like, "Yeah, man, this is going to be brilliant." And then I, I remember going back then three years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be three years ago. So yeah, no, so go 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 back there, and I'm walking up Times Square. I was walking up Times Square. There's a there's this billboard, and it literally is Conor McGregor. And I, I was like, "Wow, we you know this is Conor McGregor on a billboard in like Times Square. It doesn't get any bigger." I don't, and this was and three years ago, the Madison Square Garden. You know, Vince McMahon from the WWE was still putting the kibosh on any MMA being being done at the Garden. You know, at Madison Square Garden. It was at that time, right? And I'm thinking, this is amazing. I go into an Irish bar in New York, and it was that classic where Connor's coming out with the, you know, you're going out making balloon animals for kids and then throwing up cholo gang signs. And I'm just thinking, this guy is just so funny. And then Connor goes from that to just literally, I still, I still have my own theory that he just, he saw Mayweather, saw the level that Mayweather brought it to, and he went, right, I can do that. And just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do it. Because what he did was he went from being um, just everybody, yeah, even if he was playing, like, as I say, and wrestling the heel, you'd still deep down like him. You know what I mean? But then he got to the point where you actually start looking at him going, you know what, mate, now you, you've, you, 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 you know, you've overstepped the mark. And because they can sell that, and they know that that is a commodity that will sell a fight. You've got a y- lot of young guys coming in, and they're talking shit. And first of all, you look at them and you go, but you haven't got anything to back this up. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then the other one more important is, what message is that giving out to somebody who actually, to young guys who are coming up? Because it, it, it is all well and good to be able to talk shit like that and be wearing all the Versace if you're in that lifestyle. But, you know, I know that that isn't how Connor is deep down as a person. He's a good person, and he, he's dri- he he was driven by an ambition and a belief. And I, 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 what I'd like to see is I'd like to see the return to you know when AJ fought Klitschko and everyone was like they were just so it was it was so good you know and it didn't affect the way that they sold the fight. First of all, Klitschko uh, Joshua was always going to sell. That's one thing. But more importantly, because we'd seen so much shit talking going on. It was like just such a welcome antidote where it was just two guys going in and being respectful to each other and going, yeah, we'll fight. 
And that brings us back to the the, the Roberts and the, the Maswell thing where it's like, turn around and he's going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's doing the whole, you know, literally, the, li- literally you know, he's doing the, the real shit-talking Apollo Creed back in the day, you know, nonsense. And he's doing it. And then it's just like Club Lang. That's what Maswell was like. And it was done like, yeah. Hey, I'm going to write some rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, hey. Come on, like He's like, you're, a, you're like an Italian tank rock. Yeah. <laughs> hey, he's a big guy, Mick. What you do? About 202 pounds. Uh, Rocky Balboa, 202 pounds. Yeah, so, you, but as, as young guys will know, Maswell's just an OG. And he is. He literally is the epitome of an OG. It was the backyard fights and Kimbo <laughs> yeah. Slice and all that, wasn't yeah. it? You know, so it, this is, this is the, 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 like, it always amuses me when I, especially when I, I see the younger generation coming through and they see it and, you know, it's like everybody looks at, you know, say, Henzo Gracie's the greatest example. You look at Henzo and it, Henzo is a wonderful fucking guy. He is so, like, you know, literally, he, um, I don't know if you saw on my Twitter yesterday, I put how feminism started. Did you see that? No, <laughs> no, but that <laughs> sounds like something you would put up. There's this really hot smoking looking J-Lo type chick taking a selfie picture in a hairdresser. Oh, like, I did see that. Yeah, I think I yeah, shared that it's actually. Got this absolute honey monster of an ugly woman staring. That's how it started. Yeah, yeah that's, that's hilarious. Yeah, so the, the light comes up, Henzo Gracie, and there's all these laughing emojis put on it. And then I get an inbox from uh, Henzo and it's like, he goes, where are you getting all of this from? Uh, but you see, when you see Henzo, everyone goes, oh, he's so funny. He's such a really cool guy. And he is. He's a cool guy. He's really charismatic. He's everything. But I'll tell you right now, if some of the newer guys don't know the story about, you know, when he tweeted the guys when they were trying to mug him in New York, right? Yeah. Two guys were following him in New York and he basically live tweeted Live tweeted, right. oh my God, I can't yeah. believe they're going to do it. Um, you know, as you said, he double raccooned on me, battered them. And that's what people don't understand is it goes back to where we literally, a good place where we, like, we can tie it off, is it goes back to being held accountable for your actions because, you know, you may think that you're a real badass, but then you've got someone like Henzo Gracie, who's be able, he's able to live tweet and batter you at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, most people don't have the ability to batter you. You know, it, it, but it is, it's like, yeah, that, that whole respectful thing. And it's going to be interesting to see where MMA takes it. Like jujitsu, we're going to be fine because there's enough smart people in there and enough people with integrity uh, to, to, to make, as you know, you said earlier, it's a, it's a movement and it's, it's a movement that's got integrity behind it because it's so hard earned. Every stripe on your belt, you'll have tapped out two to 3,000 times. You know, that's coming back from adversity two, three thousand times, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That's how you got to work it, man. As I said, I am mindful of the time, man, because, uh, you know... We'll call it, man. Let's call it there. Thank you so much for coming on, brother. It's, this hey, is... I'm telling you, you know what? It's been an absolute joy. It's always good to meet Kindred Spirit, who's, uh, he, he knows the score. And how is your training going? All right, good. Everything's good apart from the weight, man. I'm still, my diet's shocking. I've got four weeks and I need to just stop eating like a kid, man. We were at a wedding this weekend, so I knew I was going to be a naughty boy and have a couple of beers, like, but, Where, 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 where are you competing? Uh, where? It's going to be in Edinburgh. Uh, it'll be on the 20th of uh, April. I can't remember whether this one is the Scottish Open or the, I don't know, the West, no, it wouldn't be the West of Scotland, be the East of Scotland Cup. I don't know. I can't remember. BJJ 24, those, that's the, their ones. Oh, 24-7? Aye, 24-7. That's oh, it, right. oh, I think it is. 
that, that you're, you're in for a treat. You're in for a treat. I think I did it. I did it. Was it two years ago? I did that one. Did all right. I walked away with a silver, so I'll see. Did you? But no game. Yeah, uh, what, what, what's his name? What's it? Oh, God. Who, who uh, this, do you know how bad this is? That's how bad my memory is. I was MC for his Densetsu show. Uh, the, uh, the guy who does BJJ 24-7. Oh, it'll come to me in a minute. Uh, he's from Preston, curly-headed guy. Oh, please don't keep this now because he'll, he'll, go, he'll go absolute mad. But I, I, in, in my defence, I've been really, really tired the last couple of days. Oh, God, it'll come to me. Alec, it will come, it'll come. Anyway, he runs a really, really good show. But he... Referee- Alex Sneddon? Pardon me? Alex Sneddon? No, no, it, it will, it will come to me in in a mo. Uh, oh God, oh God, uh, oh. I feel your pain, brother. Yeah, do you know what? It, 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 his face is in my head, and his name is there, but it's you know like fuzzy, and I can't, I can't get it. He refereed, he refereed me in the. I tell you what, he did in the British Open, Nogi, two years ago, three years ago, and I got, I actually got put through a fucking table, like literally. I, I I I was power slammed through through the fucking scorekeeper's table. Oh, who was like, it? The Dudley Boys? What was this? Well, well, well this was a British Open, so it's Bradley Osteemers Nogi, right? And for a table. Uh, yeah, well, literally, what happened was we but uh, we 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 were getting nearer to the uh, the guy I was going up against. God, he trains with Chris Reese, uh, and he's a really really good wrestler, a really really good Nogi guy, and I. I don't play any no gear anymore just because I, the, the scrambling just kills me, you know. Well, the, it, what it is, a young, guy, a young athletic guy will, will scramble and he'll get you. Whereas if you get the gear on, then I'll just, I'm going to, I'll just screw with you. And it slows it down and it makes it more methodical. And there's more ways of just, you know, what I like about it is there's more ways of fucking people up with it, you know. <laughs> uh, 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 you know, it's just like, ah, oh, mm, yeah. yeah, I'm quite good at that too. But yeah, so gi is where the gi is where I've, I've had all my success in competing. But the no gi, I've always done okay. You know what I mean? But uh, I, I I'd won the gold the year before, uh, and I, I I won that with a footlock. And then uh, what the oh god, what is his name? Alex something. Just say yeah. Alex. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, anyway, literally when it came to the final, cr- crushed the first two guys, no problem. Go to the final. And literally lock up, and it literally is. Swear to God, it was like you know that awful movie. Uh, do you know where uh, Oliver Reed, Oliver Reed, and some guy are like wrestling naked? You know, what I mean, it's one of those, <laughs> those two middle-aged men wrestling. And like, I was looking at it and thinking, anyone who's watching this, this is going to look awful. It's like, <laughs> uh, uh, that and, uh, long story short, long story short. I just love the idea of you like you stopping time in your own head, going, "Oh man, this is going to look so bad to the audience." Like yeah, you're, yeah. you're mindful that's, of everybody else. That, that's it. That's it. Because, like, I, I had it all planned out. I was like, right, do you know what? We're gonna we're gonna feed each other out. I'm gonna go for the. I'm just gonna arm yeah. drag, get round the back, and I'm just gonna jump on him, right? That was my plan, and literally he had the same. He had the same idea, and uh, yeah, cut very long story short, it was a stalemate for like three minutes, and even I was bored. You know what I mean? Mm, okay. I'm there, and you know when you're when you when you're fighting, and you go, "This is shit," because even I'm not enjoying it now. And then obviously, next thing you know, this yeah, he picks me up, picks me up, gets it, gets gets a single, gets a single, goes for the double, and it, we just end up like going straight through the referee's table, and uh, it was it was. It was probably the worst. It was simply the worst experience of my life. 
and um, I, I came back and got yeah, I got the silver medal because he just uh, he dropped me. But we were uh, we started then with uh, Alec, Alec got me and he put he said to me he got us back to the middle of the area. And what I had to do is I had to go on my back in the we had to go just basically he, he wasn't allowed to establish side control, but he was just about able to get onto you know to just where it looked like he'd passed. And that's what he said. So literally then he just held me down and that he just won on one on that. But uh, yeah, it was it was uh, it was horrific. Do you know what? The minute I put the phone down, I'll remember what his second name is. <laughs> <laughs> when you're looking for your car keys or something, that's when you go, That's what that guy's name was, Alex. I'll tell you, I'll tell you something. Aging is not for the Getting old is not for the week, I'll tell you that much. Too but true. I, I tell you what, it's been so good talking to you, man. Thank you really so much. Good. My wife's probably going to wonder what's happened to me, man. She, either that or she's enjoying about 10 episodes but, of Hollyoaks, who knows. But, um, I'll, do I, do, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, let, I'll, I'll, I'll let you go on this. You know, the, on the Hollyoaks thing. Do you, do you remember Britain's Got Talent years ago? It kind of, I didn't really watch it much. Yeah, did you ever remember the two guys who used to do martial arts to music? Strike. Mm, they were, uh, I think so. Hi. Yeah. Well, well, they're both mates of mine. One of them was a student of mine. Really good guy, right? And it, I, I met him at a seminar, and he turned up in an overinch Range Rover, and immediately he looked at him, good-looking fella, and he's in no trench and I was like, I hate you already. Then <laughs> that's sparring with him, and he's really, really good. And I'm like, shit, man, I really hate you. And then uh, he says, oh, my girlfriend wants to meet you, and I thought this is random. Uh, so I meet her. She's really, really nice. And then the guys were like, do you know who that was? And I went, who? And they were like, both of them. And I went, no. And they went, well, the, the blonde kid, he was on Britain's Got Talent. And it, like the guy had said to me, like, I want you to do some seminars for me and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Girlfriend, Gemma Atkinson. Who's that? Who's Gemma Atkinson? Gen- Gemma Atkinson was a girl that used to be in Hollyoaks who was on dance. And she ended up being on a dancing you see fair play to you you don't know either it's right? on all the time i don't know who the fuck these people are man i mean making my business not to know it drives yeah. me nuts well everyone everyone was shocked because everyone was like don't you know who she is and i went no what's she in and went, Hollyoaks. and i went let me explain something to you i'm a 44 year old i was 44 at the time and i said i'm a 44 year old man i'm not even allowed to watch strictly come dancing with the wife i said and if i watch strictly i said i have to always make sure that there's a cushion nearby to hide anything just in case the wife doesn't trust me with Roman Hollyoaks. No chance. I said, my wife, my wife doesn't even let me have a copy of this magazine in the house. No, you know what I mean? They didn't, they didn't feel my pain. But I tell you what, it's a great <laughs> to catch you, all right? Thanks very much. That'll get me some brownie yes. points. Thank you very much, brother. Right. Catch you again soon, all right? Take care, no worries, man. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Awesome stuff, man. Thank you so much to Mick for giving us his, his time on the show. I really hope you enjoyed it, guys. Um, we'll be back next week where our Cage Warriors 104 episode will feature in- fighter interviews with guys like Jack Shore, Scott Malone, uh, Mason Jones, and many others. We'll also be speaking um, to the MMA media as well. Um, we're doing a roundtable with the guys at Severe MMA and uh, over at Newsom MMA as well. Uh, and then after that, on Sunday's live roundtable, we'll be reacting to UFC Philadelphia. It's Barboza, Edson Barboza versus Gaethje. It's going to be some scrap, man. My man Paul Berger Craig is on the card as well. But just remember, if you've liked this podcast, be sure to subscribe on iTunes. We're live every Sunday, 8.30pm, talking MMA. Go to facebook.com forward slash martial arts chat. Give us a like there. Or follow us on Twitter at martial arts chat. I'm John Boy McElroy, and I'll catch you next time on the martial arts chat podcast. Every day is different when you work in social care. Like the other day, 
Sally and I were making spaghetti bolognese. <laughs> she wasn't happy with the sauce, so she mixed in some herbs and suddenly she had fresh chilli. Never would have thought of that myself, but turned out to be the best I've ever tasted. That's why I love this job. It's not just that supporting Sally makes every day different, but every day makes a difference to both of us. To find out more about all the rewarding roles in adult social care, go to everydayisdifferent.com.